Sunday morning, April 26, 2020. Glad to be with you, South Shores. It's another Sunday morning during an uncertain time. I'm glad you've joined us online. If you're new to South Shores, you've never visited us, if you're from around the world, we're, we're glad that you're here. Now, the scene I'm picturing in my mind is from the early 1940s or 50s. Folks gathered around in their homes, assembled around a box with sound coming out of it. Kind of reminds me of my grandparents who told me about when they'd listened to Sunday night radio shows before the TV or smartphones became common. Those were very different times. And it's funny to me that, that now in the 2020s, we find ourselves gathered around in our homes, assembled around a box with sound coming out of it. These are very different times as well. These times are tough, very tough. There's no minimizing that at all. But I do want to give us a glimmer of hope. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he did come back from the dead, then it's possible for followers of Jesus to have hope, even in times of loss or mourning. Many of you know that Jesus never promised his followers that they were guaranteed a problem-free life. In fact, Jesus promised them the opposite. In John 16, we read, Here on earth you will have trials and sorrows. Jesus was essentially saying life is not going to always be a walk in the park. Which is good because right now we're not even allowed to walk in the park or park near the park. And while that's new to us, it's not really new. What I mean is, the world has been breaking down and suffering under the weight of sin and death and brokenness all the way since the time of Adam and Eve. Because since that day, the Lord has been working to restore and to redeem the problem. Now, we're in a series in the book of 1 Peter. We're calling it Hope in the Morning. Not morning like after night, but morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, the expressing of deep, deep sorrow. And I know in our church body, we have many precious souls who know deep sorrow and mourning all too well. Now, it's interesting that here in the United States, many of us have never known sorrow. Many of us have never missed a meal. For many of you teenagers, the Wi-Fi going out is the worst problem you've ever had. That was before the crisis. Now, many more of us are experiencing true mourning and real loss. So in this series, we're being challenged and hopefully encouraged from Peter's words that he dictated to a helper named Silvanus, which was then circulated to groups of early Christians scattered around parts of the ancient world. Now, the goal here with Peter is to learn to follow Jesus when there is loss, even in times of mourning, even in times of pain, even when we don't know what's next. And that seems a little backwards, a little upside down, but Jesus is quite a game changer. For those of you who missed the paper printed bulletin and filling in the blanks and all that, I've got something special for you. I'm calling this message, I'm giving it a title, you can write it down if you want to. It's called Fueled by Hope. So why Fueled by Hope? Well, as I prepared this message and this strange way of delivering it, it struck me to pray for you. To pray that each of you watching, each of you listening, 
Each of you would choose to allow God's grace to fuel you, to fuel you to love, to live, and to long in a new way. Right now, if you want to, any of you can grab on to the supernatural hope that is available in the family of God. And if you grab it, if you have it, it can fuel you to love others like Jesus, live like a child of God, and place your longings in what lasts forever, even in times of sorrow. And we need this reminder right now. There is no one in our church who is unscathed. There is no one in our church who doesn't know someone whose life is shattered because of sickness or loss. So with that in mind, last Sunday, Pastor Ty kicked us off into this series, unpacking the introduction of Peter's letter to these scattered churches. And as you heard, that beginning passage in 1 Peter is kind of like a Thanksgiving dinner table. Now, this analogy is a little weird, just go with me. Maybe I'm hungry. I don't know. But that first portion of, of chapter 1 in First Peter is covered end to end with every steaming dish, delicious bowl, and drool-worthy plate. Everyone featuring the greatness, the goodness, and the richness that is salvation from Jesus. It's almost like Peter is savoring every aspect of salvation as he spells it out in those first 12 verses. So whether you used to be a Jew, whether you used to be a slave in Rome, he says no matter what your background is, you can be saved. You can become part of God's chosen family. It's a spiritual family. It's an eternal family. It's a sacred family. It is a supernatural family he's inviting you to. And here's what that can mean for us. In spite of trials, in spite of testing, in spite of fire, Peter reminds his readers that what can be yours in Christ can overwhelm and it can overcome all of those difficult things. Now, make sure you have in mind right now what Peter opened with, the goodness and the richness that is salvation from Jesus. And as we move into 1 Peter 1 verse 13, he's going to use that glorious opener as a trampoline and bounce right off of that. So I'm going to encourage you to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter. Maybe you don't have one nearby. Maybe you could press pause and get off the couch and open your Bible and actually turn to the Scriptures. Remember when we did that? But if you want to use a device, that's fine. Or if you just want to read it off the screen, I won't hold it against you. So just get there. However you get your Scripture, just get it. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter isn't subtle here. He's saying to them, he's saying to anyone who's a follower of Jesus, that your salvation is a big deal. It's something to take seriously. He's saying that your salvation shouldn't lead to being lazy or sedentary in your faith. Instead, he says that believers need to prepare for holy action and they need to prepare for a holy shift in their thinking. Peter's instruction here is that the grace of God is good. Peter's instruction here is that Jesus is coming back. 
both of these realities should spawn in each follower of Jesus a resetting of where their hope is placed. Now, many of us, including me, have set our hope in the wrong place or on wrong things. And Peter says, okay, set your hope or reset your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The year 2020 has been a rough one. It's caused billions of people on planet Earth to find their hopes crushed. And Peter is calling on Christ followers to put their hope on the grace of God and the fact that Jesus is coming again. Now with that grace as a background, Peter continues, let's look at the next few verses. Verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay, so here's the holy action and holy thinking part. When you are adopted into the family of God, you're called to live like a child, like an obedient child of your heavenly father. This is going to mean leaving behind the old life you lived before you surrendered to Jesus. And Peter mentioned abandoning your old passions. He uses the word passions. And to me, the word passions is kind of an odd way to translate the word. The English word passions was selected based off the Greek word that Peter used, which was epithumia. Come on, everyone say epithumia. Great, now you know a Greek word. But you could also translate that into English a little differently. Desire, or craving, or longing, or I think the most helpful way to translate it would be a desire for what is forbidden. And Peter says Christians have to look at the grace that's ours in Jesus and then choose to run from our old and our warped desires and instead choose holiness. To, to choose to set ourselves apart as the children of God that we are. And if we do, our behavior will deviate from and it will set apart, stand in contrast to the world. Peter breaks this down a little more. Let's look at verse 17 in our Bibles. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So the question here is, do you call God your father? Whether you're a natural part of the family or you're adopted, it doesn't matter. Kids know their father. Who do you call your father? Who do you call dad? And it makes me think, my kids have no idea if they're adopted or not. They just know who loves them, who's been a part of their life since they remember, and as a result, they call me dad most of the time. Now, they may have had some coaching on this, a little bit of training. Uh, here's a video of our daughter, Havila. She started calling me dad pretty young. Check it out. Dad, dad. 
Dada. Dada. Okay, that was adorable. Now check out my son Elias. It took him a little longer than uh, five months old, but he got it down and he got a few extras in uh, for good measure. Check it out. Can you say Papa? Ma. Can you say Mama? Mama. Can you say Jesus? Jesus. Can you say Dada? Dada. <laughs> yes, adorable kids, I know. But the point is they know who their dad is. And my question to us today is, who do you call your heavenly father? If you do call God your father while you're in this world, if you've been adopted into his family through Jesus while you're on this earth, Peter reminds us that this reality will change the behavior of a child of God. In a sense, the children of God will behave like dad's coming home. And not just in the sense of, oh, just wait until your father gets home type of way, but in a way like dad's coming home with a healthy respect, with love and honor. You're thinking, well, my dad loves me. He's an authority. I respect him. And so I will behave in a way that lines up with who he is and what my family's all about. The fact is, if you're a believer, you have been ransomed from death through Jesus. That means you'll behave in a new way, in a way that reflects the DNA of your heavenly father. The child of God will see their place in the family of God as special, miraculous. It wasn't acquired easily. Your place in the family of God was purchased by the suffering and the blood of Jesus. And Jesus' death and resurrection should make us look back in solemn reverence. And it should also make us look forward to the fact that he's coming again. And that should give us a healthy, holy fear in how we live now in preparation for heaven. Okay, every family has a different dynamic. Every house has a different smell. Some are strange, but every family's dynamic is different than everyone else's. I even know a family that has a lobster dinner on Christmas Eve. Seems a little bit interesting, but okay. My family growing up had tamales on Christmas Eve. Okay, but regarding fish, I don't think my family growing up ever even brought tuna through the door. And, and when I was growing up, if we had chicken or steak, it was so well done to the point that there was all the flavor had left the building. Everyone's family is different. Your spiritual family has a weird dynamic too. If you're a Christian, Peter's going to tell us in verse 22 to 23 that our spiritual family has a new ethic, a new set of moral principles. So let's read those verses 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. If you've been born again into the family of Jesus, you are called to a new standard, a new rule, and the rule is love. The Christian is to be known by love, a sincere love for others, like a brother, not like an acquaintance. Our love is to be persistent and hard to tire out. Our love should be pure with no shady motives. 
And finally, our love as part of God's family should be shaped by and founded on the Word of God, the Bible. It is not a dead book. Remember, Peter saw Jesus dead. Then Peter saw Jesus alive again, and now he writes that the Bible is alive and that it stands forever. Now, is it just me, or have you also at times been avoiding the news and the headlines? Sometimes we just want to break, right? Sometimes I think, I just don't want to know how bad things are. I need a minute. Other times you've kind of had your moment and you're ready to stomach another statistic or projection or bit of bad news. And that's where we are now in today's passage. Peter's going to be even more serious here and get a little abrasive. He's going to be blunt, but it's for our good. We can take it. So let's see. Verse 24 and 25. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter was not always the best student. I also was not a good student, and I am not a good student, but I, I get where Peter's going here. Peter knows enough to know about what the prophet said. So he's calling back the prophet Isaiah and his words to remind the believers in these churches scattered across that region of a very sobering reality. Here's the first one. Human beings are frail. Even the healthiest humans die. <laughs> the healthiest among us. Great abs, they die. Two, any glory, any fame in this world, it's pretty cheap. It's very short-lived. It depreciates very quickly. Number three, the earth is dying. Even if everyone started driving an electric car tomorrow, the earth is going away eventually. <laughs> I know what some of you are thinking. Uh, thanks for this encouragement, Eric. Uh, frail, cheap, and dying. Thanks for that boost. It's actually helpful for our perspective and how we see our bodies, our jobs, our achievements, the environment. These things aren't permanent and they're not ultimate. There's only a few things that are permanent. Death, taxes, and I guess now Zoom meetings. <laughs> That's, well, maybe. There's only a few things that are going to last forever. The Lord and His Word will never fail. And that's why we need His Word to fuel our hope. We need His Word to fuel our holy behavior. We need His Word to fuel our expectation of Jesus coming back. And we need it to shape how we live, to change how we live, to change even the things that we long for. Right now, if you grab onto the supernatural hope you have in the family of God, it can fuel you. It can fuel you to love others like Jesus. And that's going to change them. It's going to change you. It can fuel you to live like a child of God. And that'll bring light to the world. It can fuel you to place your longings, your deepest longings, in what lasts forever. Now, talking about what lasts forever, it got me thinking about something funny. Collector cars. Let's just pick one just for giggles. A 1958 Ferrari 250 GTS California. Less than 100 were made. Valued today between 12 and 14 million. Now, whether you're a car person or not, that doesn't really matter. Because we could substitute a collector car for any hobby or any passion. That could be, I don't know, 
working out, adoring a celebrity, making money, staying healthy, raising a family, golf, whatever weird longing you have that could possibly become an unhealthy longing, but let's pick on cars for now. At some point, the owner of every collector car dies. And that car is now the problem of the people alive who don't care about the car the same way and they sell it. Eventually it ages out, gets too old, it goes away, it gets scrapped. And that's the reality of what happens to every longing of ours that isn't lined up with our Heavenly Father. So men and women, kids, teens, any of you who follow Jesus, let's listen to Peter here. We need to learn to lose things on purpose. We need to learn to lose the hold they have on us before they're taken away. We need to replace our deepest longings for the things of God. Our goal is to follow Jesus to be his disciples. We need to follow our master Jesus through times of loss. Remember, in Christ, you can't lose what's most important. We need to follow our master Jesus in times of mourning. Remember, in Christ, he offers us eternal joy with no sadness. We need to follow our master Jesus in times of pain. And in Christ, he extends to us comfort and the peace that passes all understanding. We are in this together. This crisis, this life, South Shore's church. Let's seek Jesus together. And I pray that each of you would surrender to Jesus and then allow God's grace to fuel you to love, to live, and to long in a whole new way.